Hi, I'm Kinsley. And I'm Alyssa. And today we have a very special episode for you. It is on the Velisca Axe Murders. In the middle of the night on June 10th, someone broke into the Moore family's home and bludgeoned eight people to death. This is an unsolved case, and you are listening to The Ugly Truth. So on Sunday, June 9th, 1912, Josiah Moore and his family went to the local Presbyterian church to the Children's Day service, is what it's called. This family consisted of Josiah Moore, his wife Sarah, their son Herman, who was 11, their daughter Catherine, who was 10, Boyd, who was 7, and their youngest Paul, who was 5. And accompanying the family to the Children's Day service were two neighbor girls who were told they could have a sleepover with the family following the service. They were 12-year-old Lena and 8-year-old Inna Stillinger. And I guess the Children's Day service was like end-of-the-year Sunday school program kind of deal. Like they all gave little performances and speeches oh, and right. something like that. Interesting. So all of the children were a part of it and they all like recited verses on the stage to prove that they had learned something in Sunday school, I suppose. Mm. And after service had ended, there was like a mingling hour. All the parents were around talking and it lasted till about 9.30 p.m. that night. When the guests and the churchgoers left that night, no one expected that the Moore family and the Stillingers would never be seen again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the family walked three blocks home from church and had some cookies and milk before they all went to bed for the night. Solid night snack right before bed. I, I love, love cookies, cookies and milk. <laughs> so good. And at some point around midnight, an unknown person picked up Josiah's axe from outside, entered the family's home, and bludgeoned all eight of them while they were sleeping. We'll get a little more into that in a second. But the next day around 7 a.m., the Moore's neighbor, Mary Peckham, became very concerned when none of the family had come outside. They had like morning chores, they had chickens and like small farm animals basically. And so she walked over, knocked on the door, no one answered and she just kind of jiggled the handle and it was locked and I guess in this time this was like I said 1912 I think so I guess just opening your neighbor's door isn't that weird or trying to open their door I could never I know that's so scary I know now People it's just like, like walk into your house well now yeah. it's not normal because so many murders came yeah out things of it, like this but... <laughs> but now yeah yeah and so she let the chickens out to run around and do whatever um, but then she called Ross Moore, who was Josiah's brother. Ross stopped by the home and he got no response as well, knocked on the door, same kind of thing. So he has a spare key and he decided to just open the front door and he walked in. Right off of the front door to the left was the guest bedroom and he walked in and found the bodies of Lena and Inna Stillinger, the girls that were staying over. Wow. So immediately Ross told Mary Peckham to call Hank Horton, who was Velisca's primary peace officer. He arrived shortly after that call was made. So he did a walk through the house, and after the walk, he found all six of the Moors killed, as well as the two Stillinger girls. 
The axe used to murder all of them was found in the guest bedroom where the Stillingers were staying. So they were the last ones. Oh, yeah. And doctors, I guess through autopsy and whatever, concluded that the murders took place within the hours of midnight and 5 a.m. And after finding freshly smoked cigarettes in the attic, police determined that it was likely the person or persons who committed the crime waited in the attic until everyone was asleep. So they might have already been in the home. Oh, oh my gosh. It just gave me chills. Down it's so spine. spooky. It's insane. <gasps> oh my gosh. Oh, gross. Yeah. Never buying a house with an attic ever. Oh, ever, straight ever, up. Ever. No way. Oh my gosh. The first people that were killed were Josiah and Sarah Moore, the parents. Josiah had more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face was left so damaged that his eyes were missing. And there were also axe marks in the ceiling from when he would swing the axe upward before going down. Uh, oh my god. Ah! Yeah. That's terrifying. I know. Especially, like, the ceiling marks. That's insane to me. The killer or killers also used the sharp end of the axe on Sarah, but they used the blunt stick end for the rest of the family. Which I'm like, Wait, that's so, like, the back it? of the axe or the stick? The stick. What? Yeah. That takes There's a like lot of force. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whoa. And okay. after all of the murders, the killer went back to the parents. Sorry, no. After he killed the Moore's kids, so he killed Josiah and Sarah, then went and killed all of their children, right. and they were all on the top floor. Then he went back to the parents and, like, kept going at it. And, like, they're clearly dead. So it was very much... I feel like it was definitely a personal... Wow. Attack, especially yeah. on Josiah after all of that. Holy yeah. Cow. So afterward, then they went back down to where the Stillingers were staying and did the same thing to them. And seemingly afterward, I don't know what exactly this is pointing toward, but a four pound slab of bacon was taken out of the icebox and sat next to the axe in the guest bedroom. Investigators also found untouched food and bloody water when searching the scene. So I don't know if it was the family's untouched food or if this dude was just taking bacon out of the icebox and, like, considering eating it. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's just... Ugh. Yeah. That's so creepy to think about. Like, it they really could have is. been in the house just with all these dead people around them eating or making food or, yeah. like... It, like, clearly... Ugh. Yeah. But... The bacon was just left there, so maybe they lost their appetite following those attacks, which I feel like most people would. But after the search, people were let into the home to try and figure out... No. Yeah, to try and figure out if they knew who would have done something like that. And so the weapon just became totally contaminated. There was no way of picking up DNA because so many people had, like, walked in there and, like, touched it or, like, there was just too many fingerprints. Uh. And I'm like, I feel like that's... Something that has definitely developed now, like yeah, yeah. I mean, it was nineteen twelve, right? But still, I feel like that's still kind of like you know <laughs> something important iffy. that you shouldn't yeah. be. Yeah. So investigators believed that everyone was asleep during the acts except for one person, Lena Stillinger. She was the twelve-year-old that was staying over. They suspected she tried to fight back due to the fact that she was laying crosswire on the bed. So like horizontal instead of vertical on the bed and she had a defensive wound on her arm and lena's body also showed signs of sexual assault or attempted a sexual assault so 
Wow. Yeah. Didn't, oh, I forget their last name. The families who house, whose house it was. Didn't they have a daughter too? Yeah, they had a couple. I think they had a daughter and then two sons, three sons. But um, they were all murdered. Fine. And there first. was no, there was no sign of like, there's nothing there. They did have, yeah, they did have one daughter, I believe. Wow. But yeah, I think it was just partially because she was awake and which is disgusting. And as the investigation came into full swing, many suspects arose, including Reverend George Kelly, who was actually tried twice, but both trials ended in a hung jury. So they let him go. And among other suspects were Frank Jones, William Mansfield, Loving Mitchell, and Paul Mueller, all of which were exonerated eventually. So we'll dive into some of the suspects here. Frank Jones was someone who used to work with Josiah. He was also the Iowa state senator. This happened in Iowa. Hmm. And the two were very competitive. And one day, Moore decided to leave Frank's business and start his own where he was basically competing with Frank and he stole a lot of business from him. And I think that gave Frank a possible motive, but like I mentioned, he was never officially charged. He's definitely someone that make, it makes sense. Like there's definitely some motive there. Now, William Mansfield, this is the guy that I'm like, if someone did it, it's this guy. But there was a theory that Senator Jones, so Frank Jones hired him to kill the Moors hired William Mansfield. And within nine months before the Velisca Axe murders, there were also very similar cases, one in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Hmm. Ellsworth, Kansas, and Paola, Kansas. In the similar case in Colorado Springs, the killer covered all of the windows with bed sheets so passerbys couldn't see into the house, like after he killed the whole family. And at the Moore house, the killer hung aprons and skirts to cover the windows. So, similar MO, I guess. Ooh, that's weird. Yeah. So, he's like a murder-for-hire type person. Right. Oh, my gosh. And Mansfield was considered the primary suspect in several murder cases similar to that of Moore's. Two years after the Velisca Axe murders, Mansfield's wife, child, and his in-laws were axe-murdered, and he was considered the primary suspect in that case as well. And, like, what are the odds? This case happens, and then, what, a couple years later, your family dies the same way, and you're fine? Like, that just... And you just happen to make it through. Right. That screams guilty to me. What? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I feel like if something like that happened nowadays, it would be like, well, he did it. We yeah. We got him. Like, because it's just the irony of your whole family getting... Yeah. Plugged. And it didn't actually ever say if he was arrested. Just that he was considered the primary suspect. So, I don't know. Hopefully, some justice was served in that case. But one of the officers investigating Manfield and all of the other cases said he could prove he was present at each of the differing crime scenes that night they were committed. Hmm. So, yeah. So the detective said he could prove that Mansfield was at all the all of the crime scenes the night they were committed. But somehow he's not convicted. I, I don't know. I don't get it. That's so confusing. If yeah. you have all the evidence, why has nothing been done? Yeah, I'm not sure. And maybe it was a similar case to the first guy I mentioned where it was just hung jury and no one could really decide, so they just let him go. Like, Oh my goodness. So police finally convinced a grand jury to open a case on Manfield in 1916. They did, and in a court, 
or in court, a payroll document was presented that gave Mansfield an alibi and proved he was in Illinois at the time of the murders. So he was released and later won a lawsuit for all of this and received about $2,500, which I don't know what that is now, but probably it was significantly more than. I'm sure that, oh, I don't even know. Yeah, but many officers believe that Mansfield's release led to Reverend Kelly's arrest and trial. Reverend Kelly's the first guy I mentioned, and they were kind of like grasping for straws, I feel like. But like I said, he had two cases that ended in hung juries. But he was actually arrested for the case first. They arrested him first, but then after the hung juries, they released him. And there's not a whole lot on him, so I don't know what it was if he was just like someone... It was like hearsay, maybe like someone, or he was saw him there. Yeah, something. yeah, huh. it's wrong place, wrong time, maybe. Right. But an, a local restaurant owner named R. H. Thorpe claims that Mansfield is the man he saw the morning after the Velisca murders boarding a train. So he saw him that morning leaving town, basically. But this was never proven to be a hundred percent true. It would be convenient to leave town right after you kill yeah, your family. Yeah, right. But for the payroll to be saying he's in Illinois, I don't know. Hmm. So the final major suspect, and he's the other guy that I could I could see it being him. His name is Henry Lee Moore. It's not no relation to the Moore family. Okay. But he was suspected to have killed a bunch of people. So he was basically a suspected serial killer and was actually convicted of murdering his grandma and his mom only a few months after the Velisca axe murders. And guess what his weapon of choice was? No. An axe. Oh my gosh. Yeah. His mom and his grandma. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. I can't. That's so, that, that is, takes like a lot. Like there's a lot of serial killers that would never even consider their parents or their grandparents yeah. because they still love them. Right. And I know there are some, like I know Ed Kemper is a huge one that he killed his mom and grandparents, but yeah, it's pretty, I feel like it's pretty unheard of, honestly. Right. It's not as common. Now, there were other strikingly similar aspects of the Velisca murders and the murders of Henry Moore's mom and grandmother, which led him to, which led to strong suspicions about him. But overall, the strongest suspicions were that these murders had to have been done by an axe murderer, obviously. So many authorities, even today, believe Henry Moore or Mansfield are to blame. Wow. Which makes sense. Like, reading through, those are the two that I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. They've killed people with axes. Yeah, they they have a history of doing so. Yeah. Um, but I honestly, I'm not a, like, you know, I don't want to place blame on anyone, per se. But I just feel like it makes sense that Frank Jones, the senator that he had worked for originally... I feel like he had the most motive and it was clearly a crime toward Josiah because he had the worst, worst of it when right. it came to his murder. So I feel like it makes sense. Maybe he hired Manfield and yeah. Manfield hired a hitman. Yeah. Wow. That's, ugh. I feel like it's literally all about timing. If this happened in 2020 or 2023, it yeah. wouldn't have been, I think, hard to solve it. And I think something that helps solve cases now is the media. It's such a huge thing. And back then, that was, like, not really a resource that they had. And now it's, like, we have crime podcasts that are updating on cases. And we have huge news sites and networks that are releasing information constantly. So Right. 
Yeah, that's so sad, though. There's no justice. In... Yeah. So yeah. the murder remains unsolved. But that's all I have for today. As always, thank you, Alyssa, for joining me. Yes. And we will be back next week. I will actually be on my honeymoon, but we will have a new case episode out for you next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And for any case recommendations, as always, feel free to email us at pod.theuglytruth at gmail.com.